So now we're healed. You get married to Weston Zizek, <sighs> yes. who I love dearly. He's like a brother to me. And then another journey of your life started. Yeah. And it was another challenging journey. Mm -hmm. And it was another journey that had a lot of healing. Do you want to share the story? Sure. Yes. So at this time, you know, I would still be symptomatic. Mm -hmm. So I'm not completely healed. But I am not, you know, imprisoned in suffering anymore. Yes. Like I'll have f inflammation here and there. But that's it. Can I take an eyelash off? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, then... I am coming out of the woods. Things are great. I'm blissfully married and we have this great apartment in close to New York. My favorite. And we traveled Europe often. Mm -hmm. And mind you, this man would fly me to Italy just so I could eat pizza and pasta because they have the original grain there yes. so I don't react. Yes. So we were just living our best life and we become pregnant. Mm. And it was an amazing experience. I never wanted kids, to be honest. I know. I remember. <laughs> I used to think, I'm good. I don't, yeah. I don't think I want kids. Yeah. And then I met my husband, and I was like, oh. Yes, things Let's were great. I am pretty much out of the woods now. I'm not asymptomatic. And, you know, we get pregnant. Mm -hmm. I used to never want kids. And until I met my husband, it was more of, like, specific to him. Mm -hmm. And... We got pregnant, and it was an amazing journey. It was amazing. And since I went through my whole healing journey, uh, we watched The Business of Being Born. It was a documentary. And it's about, you know, just this day and age, how a lot of C-sections are, are pushed mm -hmm. due to timing. Mm. And it's absolutely necessary in some cases, C-sections. Yes. I just didn't want to be pushed into having one unless it was an emergency situation yes. and the infant mortality rate yes. was better if you had a home birth at that time. Mm. So I just really want, and also I just really wanted to connect with my, my womanhood and be, have an unmedicated birth at home in my own sacred safe space. Yes. So, uh, we had this midwife and the experience of interviewing midwives, we've interviewed, I think it was like three at the time, but I researched a lot. Like it, I'm a researcher, She's so a researcher. I just went ham mm -hmm. on the research, and I came up with these like top three. And the midwife in the documentary wasn't available, but her person that she works with often, they're mm -hmm. kind of like partners and take care of each other's like uh, patients, was available. And she was top three in the tri-state area, and she and she trained all the other midwives to be interviewed. So we mm. thought, might as well go with the one who trained them. Yes. All the others. So can you explain to the audience, what is a midwife? So if you're having a natural birth, mm -hmm. a midwife is, what will, is a midwife? will act as your, she will accompany your birth. She, there's an extensive training. They're able to, not like birth your baby, but be able to, they say, catch your baby and help mm. you birth your child. So instead mm. of being in a hospital setting, you just have a midwife at home to facilitate this. Yes. So they have all the formal training, like they should should be prepared. Yes. So, you know, going through this process, I was very excited. I had one of my be other best friends, Jocelyn. I wanted her to be my postpartum doula. She was really there as like my best friend and to like, you know, just keep me accompanied. And she loves women in birth. Yeah, and she is a doula. She is a doula. Yeah. That's not her like, main job yes and a doula is a, a postpartum doula is the air for the mom yes 
because in postpartum, a lot of it's about the baby and the mom has just went through this marathon of a birth and needs recovering and mm. focus and love and mm. and that's what the postpartum doula okay. helps with. So I decided to have a home birth and this midwife leading up to this, there was little things that would bother me that wasn't necessarily big issues. Mm. Hindsight, I should have listened, but it would be things as simple and silly as she would during our appointments would be five minutes late. I was always waiting five to 10 minutes. Mm. And she would only see her, her clients one day of the week. And so she would back to back to back. And in the sessions, she would have to like catch herself up quickly instead of doing it beforehand, knowing I'm coming in. So you always have to ask me for the information. Is it like, oh, so how much are they weighing now? You should know this already. Right. Granted, she is well sought after and top three in the tri-state area, remind you. So I would come home and I would just frustrate because this is a very intimate first baby and I want to be, I just have this, you know, sometimes it's the fault of me, but this perfect image in my head and she was annoying me, quite frankly. Yeah. Just because of these little things. And I remember my husband saying, you know, maybe the clerical work isn't her thing. Her thing is birth. And I was like, you're right, you're right. So like a few of those instances happened and I was mm. like, okay, there are nothing or bid red flags to say like this person's not trustworthy, right? Because she's been in this for over 30 years. And so it comes to the home visit and I said, when is the latest that I can have a home birth? And she said, am I able to have a home birth at 42 weeks? Because at this time I'm 37 weeks. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, you don't have to worry about that. That's fine. I said, okay, great. You can't really just find out this information. It's different by state. So this is my medical professional that I'm finding my information from. So I'm asking her all the information that I need to know. Come to, I'm now 41 and a half weeks over my due date. Mm. And I've, my mom's there to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Who's uh, a nurse. Who's a nurse, yeah. a retired nurse practitioner yes. and was in labor and delivery for eight years as yes. part of her experience. Her best friend, which is I think of as my aunt. Mm-hmm who is a nurse midwife in a hospital currently and mm. still is in over 30 years. I've had the midwife and the midwife's assistant and Jocelyn, my yes. best friend. So you had a full I had team. a team beh- behind the team. Yes. So I had who was hired to be there. Yes. The paid professionals. Yes. And then the professionals who were intimate in my intimate family. Yes. As a backup. Yes. And she told me as castor oils usually to induce pregnancy, to induce labor. So you're 41 weeks. I'm 41 and a half weeks. Yeah, and you're past your due date. I'm past my due date. And your I midwife is telling you. To like, we're going we're gonna to hurry things along. Mm-hmm. So I went to go get an ultrasound that day to see how everything's looking. She was 10 out of 10. Perfect. Great. She says, take castor oil. Basically, long story short, she overdosed me on that castor oil. Mm. She gave me basically six tablespoons. You're supposed to take a half a tablespoon within 24 hours. Mm. Um, And I shot out into hard labor. There was no first, second, third stage. It was immediate. There was, I never had a contraction further than a minute apart for 10 and a half hours. Wow. So I was throwing up. I had really bad diarrhea because of the castor oil. Yeah. And these were these contractions were hard. I went straight into hard labor. In your living room. In my living room. Yes. And I 
I was contracting in the tub. I went in the shower. It was painful. Mm. And it's not like I had a slow buildup. It just went straight to pain. Right. Um, so what happens next is I am, we have the lights down. It's now around 8 p.m. How many hours have you been in labor at this point? Probably uh, around 10. Okay. And we have the Himalayan salt lamps. Things great, right? So I have been birthing for hours. Weston has been, I've been bearing down on Weston for hours and Jocelyn. So all this time, I have no frame of reference of how long this has been going on. No idea. So I finally push Ocean out. Her mm. name's Ocean. Yes. And it was amazing. I did it. I did this on my own and in your home. unmedicated in my home. Like it was a natural a birth. A natural birth that I just wanted to do for myself. Yes. And it was amazing. Yes. She wasn't crying. And so I was laying on the bed and the team was around me. And I'm noticing Valeriana, who is the midwife, working on Ocean and trying to just get, she's like, it's okay, it's okay, it's just meconium. Like, we're getting the, we're getting the meconium. The meconium is like a, uh, it's basically the baby stool in yeah. the womb. So it's like a tar substance. It's very hard to move. And she wasn't crying. And so she, there's certain tests they do, like if the baby's arms can go up. And she wasn't doing, passing those tests. And... What I thought she wasn't ca- she wasn't catching her breath. Yeah, and so I see her working on her, trying to you know, suction out the meconium and the fluids, and I didn't know anything was going on or wrong. And what I thought was ten, fifteen minutes. It was an hour of this, of Ocean not properly catching enough mm. oxygen, and. I can tell the midwife is really trying to like keep us home, but there was a certain point that crossed where it was too long. Mm. She's like, let's just call the police. She starts to freak out. And mind you, I've had a team behind me, so no one said anything. Mm. No one, like the other professionals as backup I had there, no one said, you need to be at the hospital, we need to do something. Like, so I, me and Weston thought every, everything was fine, right? And so they're calling the police an hour after Ocean was born. And she immediately says to us, I'm not supposed to do home births past 42 weeks. Wow. And so I'm standing there and she's saying, you have to lie and tell them I'm your doula. Wow. Yeah. Now this is all happening after you have given birth. Yes. Imagine the state that you're in. Oh, I, I, yes. I can't. And now this woman is asking me to lie. So now... I'm standing there. Yeah. I just birthed my placenta. So I have... And we did delayed clamping, so it's still hanging out of me. Mm. And blood everywhere. And this woman who I trusted is asking me to lie. And not only that, realizing in this time that she lied to me, because when at our ho- at our home visit, she said that I I am able to have. I asked her that specific question, and she said I'm able to have uh, birth uh, <clears throat> past 40, at 42 weeks. Right. And so I'm just in shock, and I don't know if I I don't think I said anything. I was just like, 
and she came up to me, do you think your mother would be comfortable lying? And I just thought, I, I, I'm like, listen, woman, my baby's just been taken by the ambulance. I'm not worried about you, you right now. Yeah. And I go to the hospital. At this time, it's not, I thought, I didn't realize how serious this was. I just thought, okay, she just needs to clear the fluids. Yes. Like, everything's fine. So, Ocean gets rushed to NICU. Yes. I'm in the ambulance with her. And you're with the ambulance. I just given birth. I have to go three down three flights of stairs into an ambulance, and we ride to the uh, urgent care or yes. emergency room with her. Yes. We she's rushed in, and I remember in being in a wheelchair, and they want to admit me because my electrolyte levels are so low. They were afraid I'm going to have a seizure because of all the throwing up and and the just the fluids were gone basically. Right. So I remember sitting there seeing like six to eight professionals working on this little girl. Mm. And I'm not computing how serious this is. I'm like, it's just because the way everyone was acting, like everything's fine, but they're trying to keep me calm. And the midwife was just acting like, oh, it's nothing. And finally, she said who she was, but she lied on the APGAR score saying that she was an eight out of eight. Everything's great. And Mm. she wasn't. She didn't pass any of the tests. She didn't cry. She said she cried. She didn't cry. Wow. And so now I'm admitted and Ocean's admitted and I'm not allowed to go see her in the NICU because I need to pass a certain level in order to get up because they think I might have a seizure. So you're admitted into the hospital? Yes. Because of your own health issues? And Ocean is in the NICU? Yes. Okay. She was able to breathe. She has meconium in her lungs. Mm and she's not able to clear it. So imagine a little baby and you have this tar substance in your lungs, you mm. can't breathe. Mm-hmm. And it's been over an hour now. Mm. And I remember finally getting to see her. And I still, I remember I was trying to, at this time, I was staying upbeat. My husband was a wreck. My mom, my dad, well, I remember my father looking at me, giving me the dirtiest look. Mm. And I was so confused because I just thought, what, how, why? Like, I, I just did this amazing birth. I did it. Ocean's going to be fine. And I'm getting like this death stare. And I'm, that concept was confusing to me mm. alone. And I started managing everyone else's emotions. Mm. Everything's like, like, if I was fine, everybody else will realize yes. Ocean's going to be fine and we're fine. Right. And I think the beauty of the brain is, my brain wouldn't let me realize the, the gravity of what has happened yet because I needed to get through this. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't doing good. She, I, within those 24 hours, we, they bursted into our room saying, we need to do something. Her oxygen levels are going down. Like, we need your permission to, like, have permission to just do what we need to do. It was like, yes. Wow. What do you say when they come in saying, like, yeah. we need your permission to just do whatever we can to save this baby's life? Wow. It started real. I started dawning on me that this is serious. Mm. And she but had, you're still in the hospital. I'm still in the room. hospital. Yes. And so I was told that this hospital, they entered a catheter into her, uh, entered a catheter into her, and she, she was on these machines and had, she has been intubated, so she has a tube down her throat, and I only held her for a short period of time. And then she had to be in this bed connected to these tubes and machines. So I wasn't able to really embrace her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was told that 
this hospital doesn't have this medication that she needs and she needs to be transferred. Mm. I was not allowed to be transferred. Mm. I had to sign, I, I wasn't allowed to. Mm -hmm. And so she had to go to another uh, facility mm -hmm. to be monitored. So she was transferred and my husband went with her mm -hmm. and didn't leave her side for a bit. Mm -hmm. I remember, a, uh, I remember my husband went to go check on me after being there for a couple hours and we got a call from the hospital saying she's breathing on her own. We took, we took the tube out like she's fine. Her lungs are clearing. She's going to be fine. And someone even went to my husband and said, you're going to take your baby home. She's going to be okay. Mm. I remember getting a text saying, yeah. Ocean's fine. Ocean's fine. Yeah. And I remember calling you. I FaceTimed mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. and I was in bed. Yep, you were at like, the hospital. We were at, I was at the hospital. And I was like, I did it. Yeah. And at this time, I had every reason to believe that everything was going to be fine. Mm -hmm. and, and then I remember uh, Weston saying, I have to go back. I just want to be with her. I said, great. Go be with her. And I felt around... Early in the morning, I couldn't sleep, and I felt really sad. And I kept playing this sad song mm -hmm. over and over again. And I don't know why, because at this time, everything should be great. We got great news. Do you remember what song you were playing? Yes, it's it? which is pretty crazy, crazy, because it's this Dave Matthews song that I don't. I'm not a fan of Dave Matthews. Mm -hmm. My husband is, mm -hmm. but it was this sad song. I think it's called "The Last Samurai." Mm. And I kept listening to it over and over again because it made me feel sorrow mm. and I remember this is the hard part because I remember calling my husband and he was answering the phone and he always answered the phone and I sent a message of me singing to Ocean mm. and I said please play this for her and so I get a call an hour or two after and he says hi honey um you're gonna need to come to the hospital now I was like I can't check out is everything okay the doctors are saying it's not looking good. I was like, Weston, 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 thank you. Yeah. Is she going to be okay? And he's like, there's a chance, there's a chance, but, you know, you need to come. You need to come. And at this time, I'm trying, I'm pumping milk so I can give to Ocean, and I'm not allowed to be signed out or else, you know, it can't be on the hospital if anything happens to me. Right. And so I didn't care. I just left, and I took these little tubes of whatever breast milk I had because I felt like that's going to save her. Right naive looking back at it now and so I get to the hospital and my mom and my and Jocelyn are in the, f in the car and it's just silent and I'm in the back of the car just like praying mm. she's gonna be okay she's gonna be okay she's gonna be okay I get to the hospital and my husband's just calm and has a wheelchair waiting for me and he's he's assisted by someone I don't know who she is I sit in the chair and I'm thinking that I'm gonna go see my baby because she's dying mm. But like she's gonna be okay because all she needs is her mom. Yeah. She's gonna be fine because she just needs her mom. She needs her breast milk. So I get, they wheel me and I see this room and it has a butterfly on the door. And I'm wheeled into this small little room. And I sit down and I'm just like looking at my husband and wondering like, okay, like, are we waiting for the doctors to rearrange the room? Mm -hmm. And my husband looks at me and he says, I'm like. She died, huh? She died. Mm. And I was just like, what? And I just started screaming no. And 
she had already died when he called me. Mm. But he didn't want to tell me over the phone. He wanted to make sure I got to the hospital safely so that he could tell me in person. Mm. And he was, he's like, I was holding her hand and I, the doctors were working on her. And I just, I said, it's okay. If you need to go, you can go to her while she was flatlining. He's like, you can go ocean. You can go. I'm here. You mm. can go. And I just remember like, I couldn't feel anything. It's like, it's like someone's reading you a bedtime story. It's not real. It's a story. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And at this time it wasn't resonating that this is my story that my daughter had died and I remember just screaming and I remember Weston hitting the floor crying pleading for her to come back and then feeling somewhat stupid that I'm like praying in the car that she's gonna be okay and every not everyone but a few people already knew she passed and bless his heart I knew why he had to do it and I'm so glad I did he did it the way he did um, and to have to, f- I just imagine for him to have to do that. I don't know if I could have done that. Yeah. Um, they bring Ocean in to see me and she doesn't have any tubes and she's a little blue. Mm. And I'm holding her and I asked to be alone. And I just remember for some reason I kept biting her feet, putting her feet in my mouth. I just wanted her in back at my body so I could protect her. Mm. And just I couldn't believe it. this is the, the longest time I get to hold my baby but she wasn't alive mm. and it came the time where I had to give her back because she was getting so cold and blue and I didn't want she wasn't there that wasn't her anymore mm. and I just thought my life's over it's done I'm good I'm ready to tap out now and so that's what happened and coming home to where I was supposed to bring my daughter, her crib, her changing station. Thank God for my father-in-law and my, my mother-in-law. They cleared it all up. So when I came home, I didn't see it. Mm. And, you know, I'm now hearing that this midwife even lied about her name to the police. And I'm so, I was so mad because you would think I got this woman off Craigslist or something. Yeah. And I didn't. Right. She's close to retire and she just wanted to pump out as much clients as she could. And she lost. Thank you. And you're welcome. I feel that she lost the, the whole point of what this was about. It was an, I was a number. Fast forward. She's the reason why we ended up in the hospital. I mean, she waited too long autopsy came back yes yes so that's what I was going to ask next so what actually did happen to Ocean the autopsy came back and we were confused because she cleared her their lungs cleared and she died of cardiac arrest so why did her heart give out when it was her lungs and she cleared and she's breathing on her own yeah the hospital punctured her heart with the catheter Mm. and had they been monitoring all night they could have caught it so when they transferred her to the other hospital, it was the first hospital that I was at that they punctured her heart. Oh, they transferred her and she died. At I the thought it hospital. happened at the second hospital. It was no, at the first hospital. It was hospital. at the first hospital. And it was actually the second hospital that before we got the autopsy saying this shouldn't, I don't understand either. I'm thinking it could be the catheter. 
So my little girl would have survived. Mm. I don't know if she would have been a healthy little girl because the oxygen, it was a long time before she, I don't know if she would have all been there. Yes. But she would have survived. Yes. And so it was really hard to wrap my head around because the whole reason why we did a home birth, it was for these horror stories you hear about hospitals. And then we ended up in the hospital because my midwife didn't make the right call. So mm. it was like to both sides failed me. Mm. And this team I had, I felt failed mm. me. I'm not a professional. I was birthing. I didn't know the time frame of time. Like you did your best. I did my best. If there's anybody that I know that does research, it's you. And I didn't understand yeah. this woman who was supposed to be the best of the best. And then, you know, the other people I had there, I mean, not the postpartum doula. That's, she wasn't a birth doula. That's not her job. I didn't understand why no one said anything. But it was just this perfect storm that everything went wrong mm. to, that led to this. Mm. So mm, I got to hold her for a little bit and she died at two days old. Wow. I am so proud of you for sharing that story because I know Thank it was you. not easy. Yeah. And I know there are many women and fathers, mothers and fathers that have dealt with loss when it comes to, you know, your first birth, your second birth, whichever birth it is, losing a child, I couldn't even imagine the grief that one endures, especially a home birth. Mm -hmm. That you've studied so much, that you've built a team around you where you feel so confident that my baby's going to be so incredible. Mm -hmm. And then it goes wrong. And so wrong. Because of these actions, you no longer have your beautiful angel in your hands. Mm -hmm. She, she's an angel over us and guiding yeah. us. So the transition of losing ocean, how did you heal through such a loss? To be completely honest, you don't, mm. you don't, when you lose a child, you're never going to heal. I'm not going to be healed until she's back in my arms, mm. but she will never be in your arm. And so Realizing that, that there's a difference between moving forward and moving on. Mm. Not trying to move on, trying to move forward. I have to accept this emotion. I, letting it teach me and mold me and, and accepting that this is emotion I have to make room for, for mm -hmm. the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. There's a life that you build around the grief and you know, it, there is, this is this knowledge about grief. It's not something I, it's not a gift I want, but it is a gift. Mm -hmm. And the gift she gave me is I have a completely different life now. And I have my, like I said, my sad girl days and sometimes courage and bravery is just getting out of bed. And other days I'm, those bad bitch days mm -hmm. I'm doing great mm -hmm. but it's really hard and it's a journey and like they say grief is like the ocean funny enough mm -hmm. and there's those big all-encompassing waves that are just taking you for a ride and then eventually the waves come further and further apart and it's yeah. not that the grief gets smaller it's never smaller it's always as big as when it happened but the life and the experience around it gets bigger mm. now how did this affect you and your husband's relationship? 
because I know in the audience can probably <sighs> relate to this. Mm. You're a married couple, newly married, your first child, and to get through this together because I know it was a tough ride. Well, there's different seasons of this. And immediately first, he was the rock. He kept it together. And unfortunately, he still had to work. Mm. He was off for like four days, five, five days maybe, and then had to go back to work. After losing After his child. After losing his child. And I remember that he was just quiet and just miserable, as you can imagine. And I... It was tough, to be honest. It was really tough. There are times where you're just really in it together. No one else knows this grief except for your partner because mm -hmm. you both lost the, that same child. Mm -hmm. But I know we, we decided we can't survive here in New York. Can't do it. So. I mean, you were living in the home we were that living, you guys gave birth to in yes. Lost Ocean. So I can only imagine the effects that it had on you both. Yeah. It was pro probably so traumatic. Very. I couldn't keep reliving this. Yeah. So, and every time I looked outside, it was like baby central. I just couldn't see babies. Mm -hmm. So we decided to go to Maui. That's where Jocelyn lives. And mm -hmm. Jocelyn was your doula best friend. Yes. And uh, the, they, the islanders call her Mama Maui. Mm -hmm. And that's what I needed. I needed like that mama energy. So we went to Maui and just to mourn and be in therapy. And that's when things got really tough. Mm -hmm. So you guys both had a went to therapy together or separate? Both. Yes. We were in therapy three times a week, mm. once individually and then one together. together. And we just, we weren't, at one point I thought, we're getting divorced. Wow. And so now I had to kind of mourn my marriage because mm. my marriage that I had, which was like a storybook, mm. That wasn't us anymore. And it was hard for me to wrap my mind around. But I'm like, it's Weston and Cody. Like, how is this happening? Yeah. But our, we're so in our pain. And the, each person is triggering that pain. Mm. Ocean looked exactly like him. Mm. It was hard to look at him. And he was just in so much pain. And the way he dealt with his pain is not how I dealt with my pain. And our pains were bumping into each other and clashing. And uh, he didn't know if he wanted to be married anymore. Wow. And he just wanted to go to the Amazon and I think suffer, mm. let himself suffer. Mm. But we, but I realized at that time, he has been a rock through my ailments and sickness for years. I was like, I, we need to save this marriage. So at that time, the focus was for me was the marriage. Mm. Because you didn't want to lose. I didn't want to again. lose. You didn't, you're I already, couldn't lose my you're, husband. You're grieving Ocean. You yeah. don't want to grieve this marriage, no. this man. And I was already grieving my family in a way. Mm -hmm. The things people don't tell you about grief is the secondary losses you lose. Mm -hmm. Relationships change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's an odd thing. No one really warns you about that. Is that it's loss on top of loss. And I was like, mm -hmm. I can't lose my husband, mm -hmm. too. And just to clarify, so when you lost family relationships, it yes. was because of the sadness of losing Ocean and the beliefs that they wanted you to be in a hospital versus a natural birth. Yes. There, it, I remember one of the therapy sessions we had to have with my father. He asked my husband to apologize to him 
for our baby dying. Wow. Like it was our fault. Mm. And they lost their child at two days old, my brother. Mm. So I could imagine that my experience bumped into their pain. Mm. And sometimes dynamics change because your pain will bring out their pain. And people are in so much pain, they don't know how to handle it. And we try to empathize, realizing that, like, it's not personal, but it's really hard. Mm. And, you know, dynamics change. So at this time, I didn't have that. Mm. Um, You didn't have that family support. No. Yes. And as much as they wanted to be supportive, it wasn't a healthy. Yes. So I had to put myself in a bubble. Mm. And then my things were diff- were just not well with my husband. And I, I'd sometimes go on a hike and afraid that I'm going to come home to him hanging or something. I don't wow. know. That's how dark it was. Wow. I went as far as looking up assisted suicide. Wow. And almost bought a ticket. Wow because in a certain country, which I won't say because I don't want to promote it, yeah. I wouldn't recommend it, yeah. but that's how dark it got. Wow. So if you hate yourself and love yourself, you can't be, in a, you're gonna, you can't love yeah. anybody else. And You don't even know what love is at no. that point because you're so We wanted to punish miserable. ourselves. Yeah. And with the guilt that was also, that comes with being a parent, not being able to save your child, but the guilt that's also put on you when people blame you, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to recover. Mm. And... So we fought like hell and we were back and we were better. Mm. But what happens with grief is when you, a loss is all the loss that you felt, whether it's be a job, a childhood, ruptured connection, it all comes to the surface when you lose someone you love, Mm. all these undealt with traumas. Mm. And that's what was happening before Weston and his trauma and his childhood trauma and me and my childhood trauma. It was all bubbling over and it was just too much. Mm. And so we just had to separate for a little bit, not separate physically, you know, Yeah. but we spent four days apart so we can grieve on our own, on our own time. And then we came back together and we just fought like hell and to make it work to and make it work. And therapy was a big source. Oh, of... thank God for therapy. Yeah. Thank God for therapy. Yeah. And we're great. And I love him dearly. And I, and looking back at that fairy book couple, it wasn't necessarily a fairy book because we were still so traumatized and doing unhealthy patterns. And because of ocean passing and therapy, we were able to heal those inner child wounds. And now I just, I love our marriage more than I ever thought Mm. I could. Mm. And we moved to California. Yes. So after Maui, yes, you guys have healed and Mm -hmm. it's still a lot of work and you're still grieving. Yes. But you moved to California. Yes. You are, you're a Cali baby. You were born yes. and raised here. I was here. counting the days yes. for me to move back. We're no longer going back to New York. New York is over. That was a chapter closed. Yes. Now we're in California. Yes, California. And COVID hit. Yes. COVID hit and I started feeling really sick, throwing up. And I just felt like, you know, it could be all the grief because not, mind you, I'm, I'm grieving my daughter, but I'm also grieving relationships right. that I had. And... I just, it was too much loss. It was too much to handle and just felt really sick. And I remember taking a pregnancy test because that's how sick I thought I was. Wow. And it was negative. And my husband and I were not intimate this whole time, but yeah. one time we were intimate because we needed that bond. 
And so I was like, well, I was, I'm not pregnant. And I remember craving bacon, which is just not me. And I remember craving bacon with ocean when I was pregnant. So I thought, that's interesting. But I took a pregnancy test. I still haven't started my period from ocean. Yeah. This is just four months after. And so I get a call from my witch friend, which her witch friend, Jocelyn. She had a dream that I had a baby, another baby. And she's like, you should take another test just in case. So I took another test and it said pregnant. Wow. So I was probably pregnant over a month, month and a half without mm-hmm. knowing because mm-hmm. my hormones didn't balance enough yet to say it's, I was pregnant, but I was pregnant. Timeline. Four How months after. after. Four months. Wow. Four months after the passing of Ocean. Yes. So mixed emotions. Weston had told me he doesn't want any more children. Wow. And was in no way, shape or form ready. I was in no way, shape, or form ready. Mentally, physically, no, no. anything. I'm and we're sure. in the middle of a pandemic at this time. Like, it was bad to go outside and breathe. You know, mm-hmm. like, it was just, like, you didn't know what was going on. And so I was horrified. And I thought, I'm going to keep this pregnancy to myself because I'm, with the amount of stress, grief, and depression I'm dealing with, there's no way this baby's surviving. Right. So I don't want to put Weston through another horrific event. And I remember he brought, it was the first day moving into our home. We had nothing except for two mattresses on the floor. He brought me my favorite sushi. I was like, well, shit, I can't eat sushi. He's going to know something. And I just started crying because I couldn't keep it in. And I was so sick. And I just started crying. He's like, can I guess what you're crying about? I felt like he knew. I was like, no, I want to say it. And I said, I'm pregnant. He's like, and I for sure, I remember going on a walk with my friend, uh, mm-hmm. and thinking like, I don't know what to do. I was so nervous about his reaction. And I was like, but this is my baby. Like we weren't trying for this. This is obviously like really bad timing, but it just felt like out of our hands. And I think that ocean was just like tag teamed her sibling. It was like, it's your turn. Mm. And he's like, all right, let's do this. And you know, now I have a beautiful almost two-year-old baby girl named Rain. <laughs> yeah, Rain Star. <laughs> Rain Star. Wow. It was, so this is a wild, bumpy journey. Yes, it's a beautiful journey. Mm-hmm. It's a journey of highs and lows, of victories, of loss, of defeat, of success. All of it. And you're still standing. Still, yeah. And I you think. know, I want the audience to understand the story of resilience. I know you in your depths. I know what you went through through your autoimmune disease, how low and how hard it was. You're a model. Your whole face was unrecognizable at some points in your life. I know the love that you have for your husband and I know how excited we were for Ocean. We were so excited for Ocean. And then this loss hit us. Mm-hmm. It was devastating. I remember coming in and visiting you after the loss and it just being this silent lull heavy it was so heavy and it was just numbing if that's how I felt I can only imagine what you felt as a mother then you go and heal you guys do this together I'm so fucking proud of you you. and it's very brave and courageous of you to share this story Um, from a friend standpoint and from a sisterhood standpoint I want you to know you know I when Cody was going through this loss, 
I was going through a loss. And from a friendship level, I wasn't able to be there as I felt like I should have. Mm -hmm. And it affected you. Mm -hmm. And vice versa. I lost my grandfather, who at that time was like my favorite man that has, I've ever had in my life. And we couldn't be there for each other because we were dealing with our own loss so heavily. Mm -hmm. And as friends, we had to confront each other on this. Yeah, that was another. Yeah. yeah. It was another big thing because, you know, we were like this and... I wasn't able to support her and I can only imagine how much of a loss that she felt of losing me as her friend. Mm. And I remember this conversation was so hard to have, but yeah. it was so needed. And, you know, I want to bring this up because we need to support our friends in loss and in yes. grieving as humans. Sometimes it's hard for us as friends to support you because we don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. We don't know what to do because saying sorry isn't enough. No, that almost like at that time, Depending on the person, there's no like right recipe book, but like that almost at that time infuriated me. Yes. Sorry. Yes. So I want to ask you to, you know, to share with our audience, you know, when you deal with such a loss, losing a child, what type of love and support were you looking for at that time from your friends, from I your don't sisters? I think I knew what I was looking for. This is very, it was in a very new territory for me. Yes. I, now, no one, at that time I thought no one could help me unless you're going to bring my baby back. Mm. So what are you doing here? Mm. Wow. <laughs> type of thing. Yeah, no, I feel that. But what helped in the immediate time afterwards is trying to think 10 steps ahead. If you're going to say, let me know what I can do for you, that puts the responsibility on the griever mm. to say what they need. And mm. we're so overwhelmed with grieving that we're not going to want to inconvenience you. Mm. So if you know your friend go grocery shopping. Just say, hey, I'm going grocery shopping for you. I'm going to be here this day. Does that work for you? Mm. Don't, yes or no answers yes. that they can answer to. Yes. Grocery shopping, delivering food, being there. You don't have to find a silver lining. Mm. You don't have to try to make this better or find a reason. This fucking sucks. And it's not going to get and better And it's not right going now. to get better. Yeah. And I think this thing with grief is it's this people who don't understand yet they think it's just this emotion that you're trying to get through or get past and put behind you, but grief's never ending. Mm -hmm. It lasts as long as love does. Yeah. And so what we need is for you to sit there in that awkward silence and just be there. Mm -hmm. Talk about our babies. I feel like people don't want to talk about her because they don't want to remind me of her. Mm -hmm. I think about her every minute, every day. You're not mm -hmm. going to remind me of her. Mm -hmm. It almost feels hurtful when no one wants to mention her mm -hmm. because her life is significant, so yes. I want her talked about. Yes. So talk about their babies, deliver their food, clean their house. Yeah. You know, just be there. Mm -hmm. And I think that with us, and we had that conversation. To be fair, you put it so you put it so beautifully. You know, you said I my life has changed. I'm not able to be there for you like I was able to when you were going through your parasite. Yeah. I was able to fly to you at the drop of a dime. I was able to give you flowers. Yeah. I'm, you're in a do, new transition in your life and mm -hmm. you lost your grandfather. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I saw you, I was expecting you to fill this hole. Mm. And you couldn't fill that hole. Mm -hmm. No one could fill this hole. I wanted someone to fix it so badly. Mm. And you were... You would, mind you, you were distant, but you would text me every day mm -hmm. and say, I love you. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of you. I remember. And there wasn't a day I wouldn't hear from you. 
But I remember calling you crying, like, I need to hear from you more. I mean, mm -hmm. call. And I think I was just searching for someone to help me fill this huge gaping hole in my soul. And I'd go on Instagram and I see your life's going on. And, and like, your grandfather had passed, which I knew was a huge, mm -hmm. huge rock in your life. And I didn't even connect that because I was so, I needed to yes. be saved. I yes. was dying. Yes. And I realize people have different ways of dealing with their grief. Mine is hibernating and shutting down and going offline and yours is opposite. Yes. Yours is keeping busy. Yes. Going. Yes. And like keep it moving. Distraction. Distraction. Yes, and I dealt took with grief. that like, how could, how could people move on with their life? And it had nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with anyone else mm -hmm. but me. And mm -hmm. I just needed the world to stop and everyone's world to stop for my baby. Wow. Which is unreasonable. Yeah. But that's how you feel. Yeah. You know? And when you talked, when we had that conversation, because our relationship was changing a bit. And I, could I was, feel it. I could feel it. And I was terrified because I'm yeah. like, I can't lose you too. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't really, I wasn't able to be there for your grandfather passing, mm -hmm. you know? And when we sat and talked, there was all these conversations that we just didn't talk about. Yeah. That we just slid off because like, oh, I understand. I get her. I get her. And that's the problem. Like we always have the tough conversations, even if you're besties, even if it's uncomfortable, you know, and I think your honesty of saying like you wanted me to give you more than I had and mm -hmm. I didn't have it. Yeah. And I saw that. I yeah. didn't know that. Mm hmm. Because what I saw is that you're fine. You're living your life. Right. You're do you're carrying on. And right. it's like, but I didn't realize. Yes. That's that's how you deal with yes. your grief. So I bring this up to say, like, this is such a pivotal moment in our friendship. And I'm sure so many people deal with what we dealt with. Mm. You know, my life was moving. Your life was moving, but it actually stopped. I dealt with grief a different way than you dealt with grief. Mm -hmm. You know, we weren't communicating. And I say this, you know, we as women, we are so quick to make our boyfriend or our husband's relationship works. Yeah. But what about our other relationships? What about our friendships? Mm. You know, we have to do the hard conversations and the love and the therapy for real deep relationships to continue as well. And this conversation that you and I had was like life changing for yeah, me because I was not good at confronting things and being vulnerable and being like, look, I couldn't do something because for me, that's who I am. I do everything for all my friends. Like I, I show up. But I couldn't show up. Yeah. But you didn't know that. So there was this obstacle that we had where we weren't communicating. And, you know, I wanted to share this for the audience because for friendships that are going through major grief, understand that communication is so important. Mm -hmm. And I know it's hard because she's grieving, I'm grieving. But you have to be willing to be open and vulnerable. Otherwise, you will lose very important mm -hmm. relationships in our lives. I wasn't going to lose her, mm -hmm. you know, and I knew that I had to be like, hey, what's going on? And we had this heart wrenching conversation. It was hard yeah. and it was emotional, but it was it was what we needed to continue our friendship, to continue to grow because we're always evolving as humans. Yes. Your life is different than mine. Mm -hmm. I'm still single and chilling and doing the things of life. You're married. You've dealt with all this this life in this grief I'm dealing with loss of my grandparents and like parental figures in my life so as we grow as adults we aren't taught this no 
we aren't taught that you will lose people and it'll be very hard. We're not taught how to grieve. No. We're not taught how to keep friendships when things get tough. And like also having grace. Like if someone's going through a hard time, they do things that offend you or have grace. Yes. Have grace. There's a time period. And also like the grief support should never stop. And I think right after the grief, you get this overwhelm of like support and love, but like it tip it fades because you think that yes. oh it's easier they're fine yes. but grief's invisible it looks like this grief it looks like invisible. this and always show up and I'm so blessed because my friends who are my chosen family really mm-hmm. never stop showing up yes and I've lost some friends yes some friends I never heard of after ocean mm-hmm. heard from and you know it changes things. But hold on to the people that are there, mm. that are fighting to be there. Mm. And I remember you gave me a feedback about like, I felt like you said, I, you felt like I wasn't there for you at a certain time mm-hmm. in your life. I was like, I'm so interesting because I felt like I, I did this, this and that. I thought I was there for you. And you said you were okay, but I wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, but I didn't, I didn't know yeah. that. And yeah. it's like, well, I didn't communicate that. And yes. It's like, and that's the thing I'm learning about you is you can act like you can get, I like everything's okay and get shit done. Yes. And I could do A, B, and C thinking that's enough. Yes. But without you communicating like, this is what I need. Yes. It's like the love language. Yes. And I had no idea that I wasn't there with you because I thought I was. Yes. And it's like, wow. And so there's a whole other bond grew between us because mm-hmm. it's like we were finally getting to know like our soul. Yes. After 10 years. Yes. <laughs> it's true. It's like we had to go through all this loss to get to this pivotal point of our friendship yeah. and check on your strong friends, mm. check on your friends that act like everything's okay. I am that friend and I had to go through a lot of therapy and a lot of other modalities, mm-hmm. sound healings and breath works to start being able to get in touch with my feelings and my emotions to become vulnerable. But you know, they always say check on your strong friends and it's true. You know, you have to check on them. They might act like everything is fine, but I wasn't fine and you weren't fine. Yeah. You know, so we were able with our self-work that we did, which is hard. We did a lot of self-work together separately and it was a gift to us. Yeah. Ocean will always be a gift to us. We will always celebrate her every birthday as we do and go to the ocean with Rainstar. Um, I know everybody's like, wow. Rain, like Rain. how incredible is this beautiful gift, sky. gift that we got? Rain and ocean she forever. She was born 10, 20, 20 at 444. Wow. Those numbers say it all. Yes. And uh, 444 is like an angel number, saying yes. a garden angels sending a sign that you're prote- of protection and mm. that everything's going to be okay. Yes. And that's how I know it's going to be okay. And I would not have gotten through this without my friends yes. or chosen family. Yes. No way. Wow. I know all of you are just like, wow, this beautiful story of two parts of this incredible journey of Cody Zizek's life. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I hope you guys are understanding that life will throw curveballs at you. And you might not know that you cannot come up from this because you're so low. You just battled one thing. Now you have to battle another. Then it hits you harder and harder. And we have these ideals of suicide sometimes. I've dealt with it. I've discussed it on the podcast in earlier episodes. But ask for help. Seek help. Mm-hmm. You yes. are wanted. We need you here and you are not alone. Do the work. Reach out. We love you. I love you so much. I love you. And I just want to say thank you for having the courage and the bravery to share your story with 
all of our incredible audience. And I know that your story will impact and be here for so many people. Thank you, my love. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I love you. Girl, we got this. We got this. <laughs> <laughs> you heard her. Girl, we got this.